I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, featuring the rapper Big Pooh. I'm Big Douglas. That's the rapper Big Pooh. And our guest today is Matt Harmon from Yahoo Sports. Matt, thanks for giving us a little time today. Hey, happy to do it. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking to you. It is uh, Matt. It is Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, not trying to pry into your business, but I'm assuming that's a shout out to your guests coming for a party. Uh, not necessarily. Actually, the BYB was originally uh, my my first blog uh, when I was living in. Uh, one bedroom apartment in Lynchburg, Virginia, actually, um, just trying to trying to hack it as a football writer, started my own website, it was called backyard banter. So the BYB is an is an ode to that. And uh, basically, you know, what it's like when you get the you know, they give you that blue check, they verify you if you ever change your Twitter handle, you lose the blue check, which obviously, if I ever lost that I'd lose my self worth, what would I have left to live for <laughs> at that point. So it's I, I kind of um, you know, we've all made mistakes in our lives, uh, gentlemen. And like, if you ever get an ex's name tattooed on you, like you're kind of that you're stuck with it unless you really want to go through a whole process. That's basically what happened. The BYB on the Twitter handle is like, it's a, it's a, it's an old thing, not really around anymore, but it's just kind of stuck on you. I didn't realize Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, I had a college roommate from Lynchburg, Virginia. I've been down there. It's a nice place. Yeah, I'm actually from uh, the Northern Virginia area, so like right in right in the woods there. I used to live in uh, live in Fairfax for a year before I moved out here to LA to take a job with NFL Network. Um, from Woodbridge, that area is where I grew up, lived my whole life before I went to college in in Lynchburg College uh, down there in, in Lynchburg. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a Virginia lifer until I moved out here mm-hmm. to the West Coast. I'm Woodbridge. He's Pooh. You're Alexandria, Fairfax, right? Yep, Alexandria, Reston. I went to South yeah. Lakes High. There we go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There it is. Hey, you're out on the West Coast now, right? We, it, uh, it's beautiful here in Carolina today, but I got to tell you, we've been doing more interviews with guys from the West Coast. I don't get envious very often, but, man, it sounds nice out there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough to ever imagine, like, you know, going back, living in the East Coast during, you know, even, like, winter basically um you, you know you guys you guys have it pretty nice right now from what i understand like i said talking to family my whole family still lives back in there in virginia north carolina everything like that um but you know it's always nice out here like and we get spoiled we get spoiled out here for sure you know it's like 58 degrees or something and you become a truly like a big baby once you live out here it's like 58 degrees oh i better put my better put my coat on and and you know it's like a mix of people we'll, we'll be walking down the street and there's you know, folks fully out in their parka and then some in shorts. It's like people can't quite figure it out what, what we're doing out here on the West Coast. Yeah, you never you never know the weather on the West Coast you, is people have all different types of stuff on. I visit the L.A. often and you never know the weather. <laughs> you kind of got to figure it out on the fly. Yeah, the first like month I live out here, I'm, I'm looking around at people in the middle of the summer you know, down at like Venice Beach or something. And, and they're they're fully, like I said, in parka, Uggs, winter boots. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? It's it's 
it's 61 degrees. It's perfect. And then you live out here. I've, I've lived here for five, six years now. And then you start to become one of them and you, you wonder <laughs> what happened to you along the way. But that's a no one. No one ever. I find most people do not like when folks from L.A. talk about the weather because it is not a very relatable subject. <laughs> well, let's, talk about, let's talk about something that is relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Football. <laughs> we got a. Uh, we got the tag going out today. This is this is the beginning of tag day in the NFL. And uh, just wanted, in, in your opinion, any surprises? I mean, I, we have Brandon Sheriff was tagged. Uh, Allen Robinson was tagged. That was actually a surprise for me. But Allen Robinson was tagged. And uh, any any other surprises for you, whether guys were tagged or not tagged so far? Yeah, I think one of the bigger surprises, and this is sort of an underrated, under the radar one, but the Saints putting the franchise tag on Marcus Williams, just because they're in such – but then, like I say this every year with the Saints, they're in such cap trouble. This year, it feels like more than ever, they're in like serious cap trouble. However, they always manage to find a way to wrangle out of that thing. So mildly surprising uh, one there. I think the Lions not franchise tagging Kenny Galladay, um, who instantly with Godwin and Robinson getting the tag probably becomes the top receiver on the market. Um, I like Galladay. Most of the work that I do uh, with Reception Perception and other series that I do uh, outside of my work with Yahoo, where I study wide receivers, we can get more into that as we go through the conversation. But, um, you know, he's a guy that I really like. Uh, he's someone that I think has gotten at last year, hit a bit of a snag, of course, with injuries, but every year in the league got better. Uh, the Lions are obviously rebuilding. It, it just seems weird to let one of your top quality, you one of your few like young, good players walk out of the door without trying to tag and trade. I think Robinson is, is somewhat surprising because it sounds like those negotiations have completely broken off um, and broke off, you know, months ago, basically went this entire season without really talking. He's, he's one that I wonder, cause they have to clear a ton of cap space, even to be able to, to, to fit his number under the books. He's one that I could see being a tag and trade too. So I think, with a lot of these guys, especially because we still like teams don't even know at this point what the actual cap number is going to be. There's still so much left to be determined. I think we could see some some surprises coming forth with some of these tag guys, um, whether it is a Robinson uh, or, or something like that. I think we could see some actual tag and trade situations, which we don't really get very often in the NFL. What do you think the national idea of Brandon Sheriff is? I mean, $18 million for a guard there is a lot of money. But I would suggest, I guess, with teams that have Leonard Williams and the Fletcher Cox with the Eagles, that interior O-line is just as important as the tackles in this day and age of pass rushing, no? Yeah, I think that there's less of an importance on, like, this position on the offensive line is more important than all of the others. I think good players – just having good players is the key, especially when you're uh, talking about a unit up front that needs to be cohesive, that needs all of these guys to operate on the same page. Uh, Sheriff's clearly a good player. He's a good guard. And this is an offense in, in Washington that I think has a lot of pieces that I'm really intrigued with, whether it's, uh, you know, the pride of Logan uh, of Lynchburg, Virginia and Logan Thomas there. Uh, I love Terry McLaurin. I'm such a huge fan of his game. Uh, Antonio Gibson's a baller. Like, having these skill positions sort of kind of try to take the next step. You need some more cohesion on that offensive line. I, I think that it's, I don't think anybody's going to bat too much of an eye that they keep him around uh, on the franchise tag, basically. Matt, what do you think about Dak's massive deal? Finally <laughs> in Dallas. Too, too bad you, nothing you, ever happens in the off season, right? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. 
it's what a what a boring sport pro football is. You know, not nothing to talk about once the games end and before the games mm-hmm. start again. No, this never keeps things interesting. Look, I I think you you said it. It the word is finally. Um, I have a lot of fans. Um, you know, my sister is like a Cowboys fan, which is weird because I think is it's it's a whole thing. Um, I got a lot of friends who are Cowboys fans, and you know, basically, I feel a little sense of relief for them that, you know, they're not going to be like, I've got one buddy who just is constantly trolling the message boards and the Reddit threads and the Twitter comments about, you know, people wondering like, is Dak really worth the contract or whatever? I feel like it's like a nightmare is over for those folks because he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. I think he's a really good player. You just don't let those guys walk out the door. I wish Dallas had gotten this done sooner, but good for Dak. Like get your money, man. You know, you're a third, a day three draft pick. Um, I'm happy for Dak. And I think that, you know, Dallas and Washington really, to me, are the only two teams that have a realistic shot to win this division as things stand right now, because I look across the rest of the NFC East and I mean, the Eagles are, what a train wreck, you know, like what, what, what the hell is really going on in Philadelphia? Um, I like Jalen Hurts enough, but you know, there doesn't seem to be a plan there from a franchise perspective. And I still don't know what, what are like, I don't know who the giants are trying to be. I don't know anything about their like what is their plan as an offense you know I had a few going back and forth a few folks today about what type of free agent uh, receiver can the Giants really look at I'm like I don't really understand the identity of their offense to begin with or like what is Daniel Jones skill set what like what is he what's he what's he best at that would fit with a really quality wide receiver so I think like just getting Dak under the under the under the books like getting him under contract it's good news for Dallas because I really think these are the only two teams that are probably going to have a shot to win this division in 2021. It's amazing that they didn't watch the Kirk Cousins saga and get that thing wrapped up a year ago. I mean, whether today, and I suggested this earlier, maybe Jerry saw what the TV money is going to be and decided, Mm -hmm. okay, it's all right to spend, but they knew that money was coming. They could have gotten this deal done. Well, seemingly a lot cheaper last year. It's, It's incredible that teams aren't watching what happened there. And he got a no trade and a no franchise tag provision too, which I'm not sure that that no franchise has happened before, has it? I mean, the uh, no, yeah, the no tag. Yeah, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head either, but like there are definitely, it was always kind of crazy that it seemed like the Cowboys prioritized everything else other than their franchise quarterback, right? Like they signed Zeke to a contract they get Amari Cooper under contract. They sign Jalen Smith, their linebacker, who now they're like, is he even worth the money? And it's just all these, you get the one, the one thing. And also like, Dallas fell ass backwards into Dak Prescott. This was not like That's a guy right. that they, this was not a guy that they targeted at the top of the That's draft. Right. He was, he wasn't even, they weren't even trying to start him as a rookie. It was basically supposed to be Tony Romo's gig. So it felt weird that all along they weren't just like, yep, we lucked into this. We're lucky to have him. And I think Jerry was for once kind of telling like shooting it straight, basically when he said, it was just a couple of days ago that yeah, Dak has all the leverage. Dak did, did basically, despite the injury, despite all that, um he basically held all the leverage which is why he gets the money he wanted why he gets the guarantees he wanted why you know the no trade clause no tag clause all of this stuff is basically all going into Dak Prescott's favor but it's still a win for Dallas because they have the most important thing in sports locked up which is a high quality franchise quarterback I, I for one think that Jerry did take note of the Kirk Cousins situation and that was part of the hesitancy was Dak 
in his in their mind really worth the money that he could command at that point and as we can see Kirk didn't hasn't gotten Minnesota over any hump at this point uh in during this contract so um Matt I want to ask you about let's let's get to the receivers let's get to what you do let's get to the receivers (laughs) we have a whole bunch of receivers coming up we have a whole bunch of good receivers coming up in the draft what are teams going to do out here Doug I'll let you we can get to the specific receivers but I just overall like I, I this free agency class and this draft class is a lot of talented receivers. Um, I just want to get your, get your opinion on, on those guys. Yeah. So take this from like a big picture view to start with, which um, as you mentioned, it's still a pretty good free agent class. Like the two elite, I think number one, true alpha receivers were Robinson and Godwin. Those guys get wiped off the board. They're not on the open market anymore. Like I said, I'm still keeping an eye on Allen Robinson, at least as maybe a potential tag and trade. If he really tells the bears like, Hey, I I don't care about the franchise tag. Like I'm not going to play for you guys because you haven't treated me right or whatever, whatever his beefs are with the franchise, you know, the quarterback situation is a whole nother thing to talk about there. Like (laughs) (laughs) he's obviously got some beef there. Maybe that devolves into a point where he gets moved, but for the time being, these guys are off the market. Um, Godwin's not going anywhere. Tampa Bay probably wants to lock him up for the long term because he's been a hit in terms of their draft, uh, their draft picks and everything like that. He's such a good young player as well. But the rest of this crop, you know, you look at guys like Kenny Galladay and Will Fuller. Um, both of them obviously have injury questions from their background. Uh, Fuller was great last year, but then gets hit with the PED suspension. Those guys are not true number one receivers in the way that I think Robinson or Godwin, if he was on a team without Mike Evans, I think he could still be a team's top target. I think, but they're, they're that next tier down and they would be a great signing for any team. Then you've got a group of uh, Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, players that I think are really quality number two receivers that would be available, that would be attractive to anyone. Um, Then you've got some veterans like Nelson Aguilar, Marvin Jones, um, Rashad Higgins that played pretty well last year that, you know, you could look at as, you know, maybe not like a slam dunk number two receiver, but a pretty good compliment to a number one. Uh, then you, there's other players too. There's like a whole cast of veterans. Like what does T Y Hilton have left? Antonio Brown is probably just going to go back to Tampa Bay, but he's at least worth mentioning. This is a good crop of free agent receivers. If you're looking for that high quality number two. And then, as you mentioned, the draft is stocked with a lot of options, frankly, I mean, it's a good time if you're someone like me that's charting all the routes, that's obsessed with the receiver position because there's so many good guys in the league right now. It almost feels like the position is just bursting at the seams with quality players. Um, and, and, you know, that you could take that cold conversation. as like maybe we start to devalue the position a little bit. Don't throw that. But I don't think we're there yet. There's just basically a glut of really good wide receivers in the league, both in free agency, both in the draft and just across the league in general. Matt, where does our guy Terry fit into that? Is he a number one yet, or is he still in that tier right underneath? I think, uh, look, I'm so bullish on Terry McLaurin. I I was saying going into uh, 2020 that he was one of the best rookies I've ever charted in reception perception. And for your listeners who who might not be uh, familiar with it, it's a series that I do where I go in and I chart every single route that a receiver runs over an eight-game sample, really try to put a player's individual performance. Because you guys know this, everybody that watches football knows this, a receiver is one of the most dependent positions on other things to go right in order to accrue stats. And Terry McLaurin is a great example because I think he gets open, separates, get off, gets off press coverage, gets open versus man coverage, 
and uh, uh, that fringe number one, perhaps true number one wide receiver level to the point that, you know, you just got to have a good quarterback. You just have to have a good offensive line, the right type of system. Um, I think things are starting to come together for Washington in some of those areas, but definitely McLaurin, I think is a player that is an ascending superstar. I'm, I'm really bullish on him. I think if he was playing in an offense that was throwing the ball a lot, that, that was manned by a high quality quarterback, I think he'd be discussed. He'd be hyped up just as much as players like AJ Brown or DK Metcalf from that same draft class. I mean, that was a great class of wide receivers. I, I truly believe that he could have an impact like a, like an Odell Beckham did when he first got on the scene in New York. That's how bullish I am personally on his, uh, on his ability. I think he just needs a few other things to come in around him to get the type of stats to get that same national attention. So taking a look at the free agent class only, which one of these receivers do, would you think would be a great fit in Washington to go along with Terry McLaurin? Yeah, that, that, I'm looking at that group for uh, Washington. Like I said, really strong number two receivers. There's obviously a connection with Curtis Samuel to the, uh, you know, you guys are basically up there building like the DC Panthers, <laughs> which I don't know, <laughs> based on how the, know the people two, are happier about that. But yeah, no, I don't know how I feel about that either sometimes. Cause like I said, I, my, I've got family from North Carolina. I followed the Panthers for a lot of years. I've got like a homemade Panthers clock here from a friend, you know, years ago <laughs> back there. I know how that 2019 Panthers season ended, you know, uh, with Kyle Allen and Ron Rivera and Scott Turner and that whole thing. I don't know how I like, feel so great about let's just bring the band all the way back together, um, especially because Curtis Samuel wasn't really like that creatively used by that Panthers staff. So there's a natural connection there. But I, I'm actually looking at Corey Davis as a guy um, who I think finally sort of started to get the, the recognition that he deserved. Now, look, he had his best year for sure in 2020, but I actually thought that the fact that he was taken fifth overall by the Titans, that was an aggressive draft pick. And I think it set sort of unfair expectations to him as a player. I think in his first two years, he actually was playing right around from an individual perspective, you know, separating at a pretty average rate, being a really good contested catch receiver, um, being able to get down the field a little bit too. I think he was playing pretty well from an individual perspective. He was just stuck in those miserable, boring Marcus Mariota offenses. You know, then you get Tannehill in there playing really well. Um, you get the play action and everything like that. He puts together a really good year there. I don't think he's ever going to be the type of player that you would draft fifth overall. It's actually funny watching the 2020 Titans. If you just told an, a, you know, an, an unbiased, unfamiliar observer, one of these wide receivers was taken fifth overall in the NFL draft. And the other one was like a rugged second round pick that did all the dirty work. People would probably think Corey Davis was that round two guy that does the dirty work while AJ Brown was like the superstar taken fifth overall. So I think that's kind of the player that Corey Davis is. And I think that would be a great compliment across from a separation superstar like a Terry McLaurin. I think then you're looking at Washington like, all right, that's a really good one-two punch at wide receiver. They have Logan Thomas who does all of these really cool move tight end things. Um, they've got Gibson in the backfield. That to me seems like the type of player that you'd want to target. And I think he'd be a little bit cheaper just from a name value perspective than a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster who is more of that slot only guy at this point in his career. Well, Matt, we'll need somebody to throw them the ball. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm set on Allen or Heineke. Uh, my understanding yeah. is they've asked about Darnold. What do you think it costs to get Darnold off uh, out of New York? I don't think it's going to end up costing as much as folks think because I feel like other teams will have more leverage uh, than the Jets do in this situation. I know basically 
they, you know, not publicly, they haven't said this, but the reports are that they want a second round pick. That usually means they are going to settle for a third. Um, I could see a third or maybe, you know, a combination of things being able to get you Sam Darnold, get you a young guy in the building with more potential. Um, you know, the, the problem with Darnold is just, we, there's not a, through the, through the history of the NFL, there's not a wide sample of guys that were as poor from a production standpoint as he has been to start his career that suddenly became like top 10 quarterbacks. You know, people want to throw the comparison because they were both stuck with in the Adam Gase uh, circus between yeah. Ryan Tannehill and Sam Darnold. But you look at Ryan Tannehill's early years, you know, from a, just a stats perspective, like, Oh yeah, he was, a, he was kind of an average to maybe just below average co- starting quarterback. He just had injury issues. You look at Sam Darnold's first couple of years and they're not from a production standpoint, average. I think he was in a much worse situation on a much worse team, much more of a circus there with Gase in New York, but still, I, I don't have a ton of hopes that Darnold's going to suddenly turn into, you know, top 10 quarterback, but I also don't think Washington needs top 10 level quarterback. I think they need someone to give them average to just above average quarterback play. And, and I actually think that life would be a lot easier for whoever that player is if they have a solid number two across from Terry McLaurin and maybe Corey Davis could be that guy. I think Darnold's an okay, if you're throwing a third round pick, you know, it's third round pick. Like who cares if Darnold ends up just being an average uh, or slightly below average quarterback for you? It doesn't really matter. It's just a third round pick. You're taking your swings anyways. You like Donald uh, Donald or Mariota better? Yeah, I think they just come from different uh, expectations. I know I, I took a shot at Marcus Mariota in those Titans offenses earlier, but I actually think that he makes sense for a team like Washington too, especially because it looks like at this point, Las Vegas is going to have to release him just to get his cap number off their books. Um, they're probably not going to be able to get anything in a trade because I think most teams know they can't carry Carr and Mariota at this point. So I, I think that he would be an okay move because I think he could still be an average quarterback too in a really good offense with a really good situation. Like I think John Gruden's a terrible um, roster construction guy. I think he's a terrible uh, talent evaluator at this point. Like you look at some of the moves that the Raiders have made under Mike Mayock and John Gruden, they're pretty bad. They've, they've, they've had a lot of swings and misses, but I think Gruden designed a really good offense that was actually a good fit for Mariota, which is why we saw him come out and play pretty well. Uh, in that game against the Chargers when Derek Carr got hurt. So I think the the Washington football team has that type of offense too, where Mariota can get, you know, into some moving pockets, some play action looks, everything like that. I, I really like Scott Turner as a play caller. And I think he does some pretty good things. They just like, need some someone to give them competent quarterback play. And maybe Mariota is, is that guy for one year. I don't want to turn our attention back to the receiver, but the incoming receiver. You can always class. turn. You can always turn my <laughs> attention back to receivers. <laughs> I want to know. I want to get your take on Devonte Smith. Um, I've seen multiple mock drafts, and he's all over the board. Like, you have him going top ten, then you have him going, you know, in the twenties. I had I seen one today. He was like fifteen. Where do you see Devonte Smith going in the draft, and what type of player do you project him to be in the NFL? Yeah, I like Devontae Smith a lot. I know that folks will be concerned about, you know, his BMI, the weight, the size, everything like that. 
Devontae Smith has already proven he's a really good player at that size. You know, just because we've seen, you know, we haven't seen a wide variety of players hit at that size. Well, we haven't seen a lot of uh, receivers win the Heisman Trophy. Like, it's really hard to win the the, the Heisman Trophy as a, as a receiver. Like, I think you could make an argument that maybe Jalen Waddles on his level from a prospect standpoint. I think Chase is a, a jump above both of those guys. I like him a lot. I think that Smith fits pretty well in that 15, 16, 17 range of the draft. And there's some really attractive teams there to take him, you know, put him across from a guy uh, that's already established. I think the chargers are interesting if they want to look at another high quality piece to surround Justin Herbert with a ton of talent. I like Devonta Smith a lot. And what the, the most impressive thing to me, and, you know, again, this comes back to like, I'm not too worried about his size from a playing perspective. You always can worry about injuries and everything like that, but man, that guy was awesome on contested catches last year. You know, not only does he separate really well, but he's great, you know, bodying guys up like, winning at the catch point, you know, really good catch radius for a player of his size. I thought that was the most impressive thing, you know, cause you expect him to be fast. You expect him to be explosive. You expect him to separate and run routes really well. Uh, but I thought the most impressive thing to me was like, yeah, when, when the ball's in the air, he's got a fighter's mentality he has really good ability to time and track his jumps and everything like that. I think he'd be a great fit for almost any team in the NFL. As a, uh, who knows, this is a, Lifelong Bulldog fan. I'm not saying anything bad about Devontae Smith because he crushed us in the most horrible ways possible. Yeah. And when he came back, I was mad and he crushed us again. <laughs> but uh, I guess I didn't realize this. I guess I'm on Twitter more this year because of the show. But uh, the, the grind for fantasy football never stops, right? There's dynasty stuff all during the offseason. Explain to me how that works because I don't understand it. Yeah, um, dynasty is like basically if you go from drinking, you know, your, 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 your season-long fantasy football league, that's like, you know, you're drinking Miller Lights, you're drinking Bud Lights, you're hanging out with the boys, like just kind of you, – you're just casually drinking some beers. Uh, dynasty is when you become that craft beer guy. Like you're able to tell, like, this is a double IPA and it's got this level of hops and all that stuff. Um, you're basically just jumped the level of fantasy football. There it becomes a much stronger, uh, experience. I'll put it that way. Dynasty is like, you're basically taking that, uh, taking that experience of building a fantasy football team in the draft that you take, you know, in August or right before the season starts, you're building that team. Well, now you actually are playing like the fake GM role. Um, you keep the same team every year. Uh, and then there's a rookie draft every single year too. And you can, you can trade draft picks for veterans. Like say, yeah, you kind of disagree with me and Pooh here. And you don't think this receiver class that's coming into the NFL this year is all that exciting. Well, Hey, I'll take my first round rookie pick and, and send him, uh, you know, for another guy that I already really like that's in the league. I mean, no one's trading one first round pick for Justin Jefferson at this point. He's, he's too good, but like you could take a first round pick and uh, you know, a Corey Davis type and maybe try to trade up for Justin Jefferson, that type of thing. So you really are trying to build that dynasty with the same team every year. There's a lot of strategy that goes into it. Um, you know, whether you want to build a winner right away, uh, you want to try to accumulate young players and build for the future. Um, it is it is a whole different experience that really tests like your player evaluation skills, your roster building skills, because, yeah, I mean, you could get off to a great start in a dynasty league uh, with an older team, but you don't have that much youth or, or whatever. So, like I said, the best way to compare it is it really is that level jump, maybe like two or three level jumps from regular fantasy football to dynasty fantasy football. 
That's fantasy football on steroids. I might need to get involved in that. <laughs> it's fun. It is. It is fun because you really do get to kind of like, you know, especially if you're someone like me who's tracking these receivers for years, like coming into the league, and then as they're younger, trying to predict when they're going to break out. You know, you can really build a collection of like Stefan Diggs, Allen Robinson, Tyler Lockett, like all of these guys that I really like. You can build them all onto one team and sort of keep them and develop and like. I mean, you're not developing their actual teams are doing it. See, this is, you're trying too hard to become that GM head coach, right? It gets in your head. Um, but yeah, you could sort of collect this talent and, uh, and try to build this really good team that you run back every year. Plus like, nothing feels better than when you do actually have that dynasty and you're contending in your fantasy league every year. It's a great way to, I think, keep in touch with like friends too. I wish that I had friends like from high school that were sickos like me enough to actually do a dynasty league. Um, basically all those goofballs are just texting me about their season long leagues, like come September. Uh, thanks. Haven't heard from you guys in six months, but sure. I'll tell you who to draft. Great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you could stay in touch with, like one group of friends. Uh, you know, it, it's a fun way to, to interact that way too. Nice. Well, Matt, let us let the people know again where they can find you and what you have coming up next. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Like I said, still rocking that uh, X's tattoo on me right there. Um, got a lot of fun stuff coming up at Yahoo Sports. Doing the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast. We'll be talking a lot about all of these moves that maybe are applicable to a dynasty league if you're into that stuff. And I've got a lot of cool stuff coming up with Reception Perception too. Can't quite get into specifics, but big announcements coming up there. Uh, the best way to do that is hop on Twitter. Use the hashtag Reception Perception. We'll be putting all of that content out and you can find it there. Thank you for coming through, Matt. Matt, appreciate My you. Pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thank you.